This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Not everything metal was created equal. What an ugly thing to say. The Metal Sucks Podcast. Shiggity Chuck and Godless attempt to bring order to chaos or just make stupid jokes about dumb people. Stupid. A person below normal intelligence. This is the Metal Sucks Podcast. Greetings and salutations, my yeah, fine yeah, metal yeah. friends. Welcome to another edition of the Metal Sucks Podcast. How the hell are you doing? I'm Chuck. And I'm Godless. And this is your weekly examination we all of all things metal, the Metal Sucks Podcast. Make sure you are subscribed all over the place, wherever you get your damn podcast, whether it's on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Make sure that you click that subscribe button. That way it comes right to your device and you don't have to go hunting it down. It'll just come right to you. Maybe leave a couple of stars. Tell us we suck. We would appreciate it. You can also find Please. us, of course, metalsucks.net every single Monday. Well, most Mondays. Uh, most you can Mondays. find us up there at metalsucks.net. Click on the uh, podcast tab at the top of the page, and you can find all the old podcasts right there and listen to them in order. Oh, yeah. It was good stuff, man. It was, uh, it, was it kind of sucked to have that uh, Devin Townsend one go up a little bit late, but you know what? It was worth it. It was totally worth it, man. I'm, yeah. I love that guy. Really do. You know that. You know what's a good one when Chuck says good things about us. Because Chuck, I never say yeah. Well, but dude, I mean, I'm such a I'm such a fanboy of Devin Townsend anyway. So it's like yeah. you know that that just makes me happy to hear his voice because he's well, such. I'm a, optimistic you know, about this episode. This is gonna be a monster. Oh, we got a good one. Well, and and try us discussing um, extreme metal is something that you know <laughs> a lot of people. What? Wait, what? Uh, let's. Let's consider this more of a. I looked at this more of as a learning opportunity to say, to, to put it to, the way I'm thinking about it. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Uh, yeah. I, more than anything, because if there's one thing that I admitted a long time ago when I started doing the radio show, when I started no control radio, by the way, uh, it, I, I realized that you know I'm, I can't be a poser with some of this stuff, right? You gotta you gotta admit your, your where you lack. And black metal is one of those things that I am not versed in. It was never something that I I liked a whole lot. And if there's one thing you can't fake, it's knowing shit about black metal. You just can't. Yeah. You go Fortunately, the- people write books and movies about it, and you know that we do our best to try to soak up the information that way. So this week, our guest is Dayal Patterson, who's written several books on black metal and gotten himself kind of embedded with uh, with the scene, to say the least, and gotten a lot of these dudes to really, uh, really come clean about it. And it's a, it's pretty cool. We get a we get a good glimpse into where black metal is where it's come from and and a lot of cool stuff about his new book that's uh that's actually gonna be coming out on decibel press uh in the states here soon it's already out i believe overseas like where you're at right yeah yeah and i i think it's available digitally everywhere but uh it, it you know you've probably read lords of chaos and maybe a couple of the other books that mm-hmm. really got into more of the uh you know what these people were doing you know and the the sort of relationships between them but it really didn't get into the music or the why they uh, the sounds were that they were making were were uh were being what they were and the cultural influences and all that other stuff and that's where dayall really shines because he really is able to dig in and and that stuff is probably 
as interesting, if not more interesting, than you know the now kind of tired story about you know who murdered who and, and who you know, burnt down you know, blood and all that yeah, stuff. Exactly. We kind of got that history already. We kind of know where that lives. But but also the other thing that's kind of coming true, and we talk about it with uh, with Dale a little bit, uh, is you know where a lot of these artists are in their lives. And how it's now kind of at the point where they want to tell the story where before, you know, we were so underground that nobody needs to know, you know, and now it's kind of all coming around to where it's like, well, wait a minute, we need to document some of this stuff. We need, you know, getting some of these stories out of these guys is great because a lot of these stories and interviews that he's done, they've never told this stuff before, you know, and, and have kept it pretty quiet. And it's really kind of interesting, you know, to read just some of the stories and the, the personal aspect behind you know how this that scene and all that stuff came about it's pretty it's pretty cool stuff it's a pretty cool read so yeah, yeah that's a definitely good um oh and, and i forgot we can make sure you follow us on uh, all the socials and all that stuff we got to give out that show maintenance <laughs> damn it uh i'm at bearded ape I'm at Godless Speaks, uh, Godless Speaks on Facebook and Spotify. So make sure you get us all over there. Where what else? Oh, uh, at uh, Chuck and Godless on Instagram and uh, ChuckandGodless.com. That's our Patreon. If you would like to be a supporter, we would appreciate it for show. Th- thank you to the new people who've come on board. Really appreciate it. If you haven't yet, stop being an asshole and. <laughs> Give us a little bit of money just to say, hey, because it can be as little as a dollar a month or something like that, man. So it doesn't have to be much. It's all good. And it's and it's not just for us. We give you shit too, so it's all good. Yeah, we give and take. Yeah, we put a a little extra content in there, some extra stuff for you. So that's that's some pretty cool stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, we'll be doing more of that as we kind of move along. You know, where whenever the opportunity arises. I know next week here in Austin, I uh, just found out tonight that uh, Donald Trump is having a two-hour rally here in Austin at uh, the ACL Live, which is like where Austin City Limits is broadcast live from around the world. And let's just say people are shitting their fucking pants about it right now because they're, I can't believe he's going to be on Willie Nelson Boulevard. This is bullshit. And I mean, people are freaking the fuck out right now. And it's only been based, they, they, based on the polls. Two hours isn't long enough. They, they announced it. They announced this thing like maybe, you know, a couple hours ago and it just went ape shit in the middle of the night. I'm like, how, how's that? Fuck? Really? Uh, I don't know. So, yeah, there's going to be some interesting stuff to uh to chatter about next week for sure man but uh, uh we also want to talk about this whole flap with uh with havoc and dave mustaine and mustaine management uh that went down this week because um it was funny we were getting ready for the show and somebody tweeted it to me it's like hey are you guys going to talk about this it's like yeah i think we you know, we gotta we, for we fans gotta. of the show have been missing chuck and i disagreeing guess what you're in for a good one no, yeah good. well i think we yeah i think we disagree a little bit about this one for sure well you know there's a there's there's some and i'll i'll be my usual wishy-washy self on it and you know won't won't really take a position on anything because that's how i roll you know i don't want dave mustaine to tell me to fuck off that would that that'd be the I, i'd be devastated you know in my heart it would hurt me for sure you know what what would dave mustaine do I don't know, but uh, this week also, um, I I did get I finally got back and uh, had my first performance on stage for the first time in twenty years this past weekend, which was kind of fun. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, you've been you've been hinting at this for a few weeks now. Well, I've talked about the I've talked a little bit about the barbershop thing. I even did that uh, did a playlist of 
my anti-metal uh, playlist of barbershop music that I <laughs> I listened to too. Uh, well, I, I tweeted that thing out for my happy metal fun time on a uh, side one track one uh, that I do every once in a while. So yeah, it's been a it's been kind of an interesting run getting uh, getting back into the singing thing again. It's been weird. Did you get nervous with, before the show? No, not really. I mean, I, I'm a sweater anyway, so you know I sweat a lot. <laughs> you know, this is part of being a would fat you, guy. Do you think you would have been nervous if like it was a solo performance? Does it make it easier because it was a big chorus? Oh, right? dude, it wasn't just like dude, a solo performance is. A, I've I've never been good at solo performances like ever. Uh, when I when I went to college, my first year of college, I was a vocal performance major, so I was singing opera, right? And I had to sing in me in front of a piano, and that was it. And in front of the entire like music department, that fucking shit was nerve wracking. That drove me insane. Like that was hard as hell to do. I did it, but it was hard as hell to do. You know, even in a barbershop setting, when it's four dudes on stage, that's not that bad. Why? Because that other guy fucked up. It wasn't you. You know, so <laughs> yeah, know. yeah, yeah. There, there are other people to rely on. There's other people to lean on and that stuff. So yeah, did, did we fuck up a little bit here and there? Yeah, we did. Of course, there was uh, little flubs here and there. But but overall, it was uh, it was pretty good. So but I I really wasn't that nervous about it. And and there was a ton of people there. Um yeah, I mean each performance had about had about three fifty at it. I think something like that, like three, three hundred, three fifty at each one. Listen so. to that metal bands. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. You, you want to draw a crowd? You start singing barbershop music, baby. All right. Uh, however, you know it's funny though because I, I'm I've got the sensibility about the way things go in the world and and the world of music, right? And and when I look at what these guys are doing, uh, it makes me really sweat because there's so many so many missed opportunities. Like unbelievable missed opportunities for like merchandising for uh, <laughs> I mean, like all this kind of shit. And I'm just like, what do you guys do? Why do we not have like uh, the, this flyer, this thing? Why do we not have that? What it was like, we should be selling shirts and pu- buttons and ha- hats. Like, what, what the why, why, why are we not doing any of this? And I mean, apparently there's like legitimate stuff behind why we don't at this point. But uh, but but yeah, I'm like, I'm thinking about it in terms of everything else in my world of metal and i'm like going why are we missing these things because this is so important you know one of them was like social media was such a huge deal you know and wait a second wait a second i want to see the name of your barbershop quartet get turned into a black metal logo oh dude you know hell yeah man. put that in the merch booth hell yeah well my first uh, did i did i ever tell you what the name of my quartet was in high school no, my my quartet in high school uh, that I sang because I was a metal kid in, in high school as well. But I sang barbershop. We were called Aces High. Oh right, yeah, you did mention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aces. It was so it had an Iron Maiden reference, but also had like a you know a poker sort of card reference, which is pretty typical. You get it like a Joker's Wild or things like that. Those those are things that that are pretty common in barbershop names and stuff like that. So, you know, Aces High would look great with a black metal logo, you know? That'd be awesome. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, but it'd be even better if it were like, you know, the uh, the Austin uh, Vocal Collective, you know, or Acapella whatever. Acapella Texas is what we're called, Acapella okay? Acapella Texas. That in a black metal logo is so much better than Aces High. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. I can see that. Uh, I don't know that that shirt would sell, though. You know, that's the yeah. that's the other thing. You never know. It might, though. Uh, you know, the the average age of the audience being probably 60, 
you know, up there uh, to say the least. But oh, man, see that that's the thing that would get me. I just don't want to be a part of something that's about to die. Well, you know, and that's the thing is that that, that this is kind of my this is kind of my point uh, with it is, is that to to not be that way, like things have got to change. And, you know, this is one of those things that I was one of the youngest people in this whole group of doing this stuff when I was doing it 20 years ago, and I'm still one of the youngest people doing it now. (laughs) And that is not good. Like, like it's not surprising. (laughs) It's not surprising. No, it really isn't because it's not very cool. I don't I don't give a shit what anybody says. It's not very cool. All, yeah, but it's 350 people. Cool. That's not bad. Was that $5 ticket? Oh, $10 more than ticket? that, dude. They were like 20, 20 and 40, I think. You're kidding. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Pretty, well, this oh, you is, guys are bringing it in. Well, but also, like, uh, we had two international award winning quartets, which were huge and that, that kind of stuff. They, they, we got to pay them money to come perform on our show. So, those things, those are the big draws, you know, and you pay for those big draws. So. I yeah. thought this was like a you know an, an American phenomenon, a, a dying American phenomenon. Well, not a, it kind of international one. Well, the thing is though is that it's international to the point where uh, like they had an international competition, like a group from New Zealand and a few other places. Like it's it does exist in other countries as well. So uh, it I don't know. I I, do, I I think it needs to be updated in some respects because what I was saying the other day was that. We're looking at what the advent of uh, movies like Pitch Perfect and things like that, where you see all this acapella stuff that's out there, right? But none of it is filtering down to us. So it's it's like that's how uncool we are. So it's like how do we bring that and change that brand? And part of it is, like, like I was saying, the social media thing. Like we're just not even – didn't even have a presence until I joined this group, you know, three months ago. And next thing you know, I started like posting videos, posting this, da, 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 and posting all, this, and it starts blowing up on forum. And they're like, "Wow, this is amazing!" It's like, yeah, it takes like a, maybe a, just a, a little bit of effort to start to start moving because you got people that want it. It's like you got to push it, you know. And it goes for anybody that's that's out there and doing it. It's like you got to do, you got to make that a part of your your wheelhouse, man. If you don't have a presence somewhere. Uh, you know, whatever, if it's Instagram, you don't have a presence on, if it's Twitter, you don't have, you got to have a presence on everything, you know? And yeah, but is there really an audience that you're trying to get to? I mean, I would think that in the entire central Texas region, you probably got the entire 350 people with 20 bucks or more to, who are interested to show up. Well, yeah, I'm not saying that that's not true, but, but the thing about it is, I think that there are, it's about, you got to, you got to turn it into a growth market, Right. You know, you got to grow your audience. So it's more about trying to find the young people that are going to be to bring them in. And I've yeah, got, I got trust me, I'm, I'm, that, I'm building a whole plan. I'm, I'm building a whole fucking plan. I got a I got a fucking plan now. You really uh, think that change. like that that kid, you know, who's uh, you know 19 and and you know uh, just standing in the front row of the Austin City Limits Festival to see I, I don't know All Twins or one of these like uh, 80s throwback bands are are the only thing that they're missing is exposure to 1930s <laughs> or 1940s well, barbershop quartet music. See, you know? because just because you have this idea in your head about what this is and what it is, you, you've got the stigma, man. You got you, you got it all brought in. You, you're oh, thinking this. Oh, you're going to try to tell me that because you guys cover Lady Gaga, that's gonna that's gonna really bring the kids in? Is that the well? Plan? I'm just saying, if you if you do updated <laughs> music, people are going to get updated. Actually, you know, that's part of the deal. And it's yeah, not, but you, you're gonna have to you're gonna you gotta do what the black metal people have done, right? You'd go like, hey, let's mix this with shoegaze, and then it's interesting again, and you get a bigger, wider 
predominantly hipster audience that's what i'm saying i'm like because because that's my point is that you know what is what is one of the most popular things in the hipster culture right now it, it's fucking haircuts beards. haircuts beards and mustaches right and what is a traditional thing uh, wait that's where you where do you go to get the you go to a fucking barbershop right and to do all that stuff. Uh-huh. Uh-huh? Uh-huh? so why is it not all been tied back into these things to where it originally came from and I don't think anybody's like telling the story and tying things together. And I think that's part of the problem, you know, because that nostalgia, that slow, the like the slow booze movement, you know, where they take 50 minutes to make your fucking drink because that's how they did it in the 20s and the speakeasies, you know, that shit, that kind of stuff, that nostalgia. Th- there's a f- fucking huge audience for that shit, man. And the the point is, is trying to tie those things together and figure out ways to bring it all around. And, you know, some of that is doing cooler music. Some of that is just exposure to it. I mean, the the thing is, the thing for me was as somebody who was a kid in high school who listened to fucking heavy metal, you know, I was listening to Slayer and Metallica, listening to bands like that, but then also got turned on to this other stuff was the was doing it was it was actually doing it and experiencing and going this is kind of neat and then also getting laid because of it and that actually helps quite a bit you know uh one, you once to go you, through your barbershop court that dude <laughs> dude you sing for some chicks man oh my god they go oh panty dropper yeah totally man you know it's, it, it works man because next thing you know you're doing extremes more than words at a party sometime you know and a two-part <laughs> harmony you're like fuck yeah bro this is where it's at man you know what's going on jakes love that stuff it's <laughs> yeah, true for me it was acoustic guitar and uh that song off of death angels act three <laughs> i think remember when we interviewed marcos i know yeah <laughs> didn't work as if that guy as if that guy like you know has ever had a problem <laughs> you know no uh, never yeah never. Uh, tell you oh, what. did you hear his uh his his tracks on the uh metal allegiance uh, oh uh, yeah 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 i did actually they're really good and you know what i was really impressed by was the eagles cover with Alyssa white right uh, gold yeah, from uh, uh yeah uh arch enemy mm-hmm. she can sing you oh know, dude like, you we, didn't know and that? he can sing and i was like i was like oh my god if i'm death angel and arch enemy i'm immediately going hey wait w- wait a second let's get you guys singing again on the next albums you know either that or let's tour together so we can do it live yeah. So no, Alyssa White Glues, uh, like she's got a great voice. I mean, she really does. Yeah. I mean, that was the one thing about the Agonist that uh, that was different than Arch Enemy, and sort of a disappointment. But, you know, I don't want Arch Enemy to sing, but but the Agonist gave her an opportunity to do both. You know, where she was screaming and singing, and you got a, a little more of a showcase for for what her voice could do. Uh, and Arch Enemy, she just doesn't have that have that showcase like she does with um, with. Uh, uh, or she did with the agonist. I mean, so yeah, no, that's so, good stuff. So, is there like uh, an artistic collaboration with some other musical entity that has their fingers in the hipster culture that you guys can supplement something? You know, like like you could be the Lady Smith Black Mombazo to somebody else's Paul Simon. You know, maybe, maybe I don't know. Well, uh, you know, you, you become the backing group for somebody, you know, where you sing the four, the two, three, four part harmony for different stuff, you know. Uh, yeah. But, but, but it's, a, well, there's a whole, I don't want to, damn, I could do a barbershop or, or, podcast. Don't make me start doing your, a barbershop ne- podcast. I'm going to start that like, next week. 
is your next performance going to be like the Sunbather album in its entirety? You know, that would be freaking awesome. <laughs> oh, dude, can we make that even more hipster than it already was? I don't know if we possibly could. <laughs> Pink suits, man. We strip it down. We strip it down with uh, with no instruments. Yes, we just sing all the guitar parts. Yeah, right. I wonder if it would even be recognizable. Uh, probably not. Uh, probably not. I can barely recognize that album as it is. Speaking of which, let's uh, let's get into our interview with uh, with Dayal, so I can stop yeah. talking about barbershop on the metal podcast, please. <laughs> uh, something wrong about this, in in, in, a, in a weird way. But uh, let's see. Well, whatever um, you're gonna do, do it quickly because the rest of your band is about to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I I I I'm not sending you any pictures of our performance anymore. No, sorry, man. Uh, I did get a joke about my beard, but we'll save that for another time. Uh, Dale Patterson, uh, author of several black metal books. If you go to uh, cultneverdies.com, you can uh, read more about what he's got and what he's got going on. He's got some very cool stuff. Uh, I think fourth book, right? Um, this may be the third one that's coming out on Decibel Press uh, here in the United States, but he's got one called Black Metal, The Evolution of the Cult, Black Metal, Prelude to the Cult, Black Metal, The Cult Never Dies, which is what we're really talking about, and uh, Black Metal, Into the Abyss. Uh, these are all listed on his website at Cult Never Dies, but let's uh, chat with Dayal Patterson on the Metal Sucks Podcast. Dial, like, you gotta understand, like, Chuck and I are like extreme, extreme metal posers when it comes to the black metal stuff right so so like like but the thing is is that black metal is the most interesting stories in our genre uh i mixed my my you know as a writer or an editor you would have noticed that i i started talking singular and then i went plural but it's got the most interesting (laughs) stories right so like like and you're collecting each and every one of these and it doesn't matter like you know, I'm sure you hear about Lords of Chaos and all these other books that existed that are now like dated and really didn't talk about black metal as much as everybody remembers anyway. And you're you're yeah. you're nailing it with these. Oh, thank you very much. I mean, that's the intention really is to kind of document and collect, uh, yeah, the human stories behind the music um, and kind of to give a voice, a direct voice to the artists involved because I don't think that really happened in the past. I think a lot of people who haven't read the books, you know, I see people commenting like, why is there, you know, three books? Well, you know, what, what does he have left to say? Why, you know, but it's not, I think that's a misconception from people who haven't read it is that each book is kind of me just given my thoughts on black metal. But I think I'm really just a sort of, you know, conduit for, for these, you know, these artists to kind of give their story and, and give their kind of account and uh, views on, on the art they created. Well, like uh, like Ellis was saying, it's it's been sort of piecemeal over the years. You know, you've gotten pieces of it in a documentary here, a, a book here, a book there, but never kind of um, telling it in a good chronological order. And I think this is a, that that's actually you know one of the more interesting things that you've that you've done is be, you've been able to kind of chronologicalize. Is that a word? Um, <laughs> the, the the story from the people that are that were actually there and experienced it. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh it's definitely an attempt to kind of put it in some kind of order. And, um, and also, as you say, like a lot of the documentaries and books that came out, they were, they were mainly focused on 
Norway between 1991 and 90, maybe 94. Mm. So that's quite a narrow field when you've got a genre that's been around for, you know, 35 years and is, you know, active in every country in the world almost. So, yeah, I really think if there's one thing I'd like to kind of come out of the, the series is that people see it as not being a purely Norwegian story or a purely early 90s story and uh, maybe look at the bigger picture. It seems interesting too to me to read about these artists, you know, chapter by chapter, where you know each of them have can lay claim to that like black metal legitimacy that everybody adores, and 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 more than any other sub sub genre, I think it, black metal adores it, uh, uh, its legitimacy, but. At the same time, you've got groups like Satyricon uh, and uh, Watain, for example, um, or uh, Solifald, who you turned me on to today, and thank you for that. Like, they couldn't be more different. Yeah, I think the, actually the, the, the broadness of black metal is what makes it, for me anyway, the most compelling form of, of metal, really. There is such a... Uh, it's almost limitless how far you can express black metal both stylistically philosophically uh yeah it, it just doesn't have the limitations the fact that there's still bands coming out in 2016 with you know with new interpretations of black metal that are still undeniably black metal i think says a lot you know and it's not something you can really say of you know other genres as you know death metal being the most obvious comparison now that's kind of the one of the oddest arguments that I've heard though within the within the genre itself of you know trying to discuss what is or isn't and you know I'll, talking to a lot of these guys you know Frost and Ishan and a few others that that have their own ideas and the idea that black metal is more of an attitude than an aesthetic or a sound a particular sound that makes it one way or another and that seems to be like an ongoing argument for decades yeah, I think I think that argument will never end. In fact, funnily enough, it came up today because I did a um, top 80s, you know, top 10 80s black metal albums. Um, and yeah, I had a lot of people kind of wanting to debate whether this or that isn't black metal. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's that's kind of a conversation. Yeah, that's a conversation that is never going to end because it's a personal, you know, we, we end up coming down to semantics and kind of what, what each person considers black metal to be. And also, you know, the meaning of the phrase black metal certainly changed as time went on. You know, in, in the 80s, uh, Merciful Fate was definitely considered black metal. Um, probably wouldn't be by a lot of people now, or at least borderline. So I think that, yeah, I think uh, you could define black metal by quite a few different parameters really you could, you could say it's a musical expression you could say it's a feeling or you could say it's a spiritual um expression so how does that that's got to make it difficult for you as an author to try to put that into words and make it so those people or, or do you just get like a ton of dissenters like just uh, people that just don't buy it um not really i mean i have to say that i mean i'm sure there's people that you know hate the fact that somebody's writing a book about black metal on some, you know, I'm sure on, I'm sure on forums or whatever, if you look hard enough, somebody will be pissed off because you couldn't really write a book about something like black metal without annoying someone. True. But, you know, the vast array of uh, the messages I receive and the things I see are, are really positive. You know, um, I get, I get people write to me more or less 
well, let's say every other day at least, who bought the books and, you know, were, were into it. And a lot of the bands that I really respect have, you know, spoken to me and bought books. And so I think it's, uh, I think the support has been really encouraging, but it, it doesn't worry me if not everyone is on board. That's fine. You know, it's everyone's entitled to their opinion and black metal's full of strong opinions. Um, <laughs> but as, the thing is, you know, as an author, I'm also not, uh, I'm not trying to put myself in these books too much. I do have, you, you know, I will interview artists like Marduk and Watain who say black metal must be satanic. And then I'm also interviewing bands uh, like Satyricon, 1349 or Streed who say black metal doesn't need to be satanic. So it's, it's actually, I think black metal is kind of defined by a plurality of opinions. And if you have different opinions in the same book, that's, that's actually more honest because you get a you know you get a wider and more accurate picture of what is quite a sort of disparate uh, and yeah a, a quite a divided genre I would say. Um, I remember speaking to Ina from Fordruna uh, and ex Gorgoroth, and he said that you know black metal is kind of it's not it's not like a herd of sheep. It's more like kind of. I think he said like strong goats each go in their own way. And there's something in that. <laughs> and, and sometimes they butt heads against each other. And uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, there seem to be like these rules that, and, and then some heroes for those people who hold, tr you know, hold those rules and those heroes are abandoning that, like those rules you know what i mean to, to hear um you know the the latest latest is on uh, recordings and, and and images and you know here he is in a turtleneck sweater you know like oh my god people are freaking out you know and enslaved and what they've been doing and it's i can just see like there's just a handful of people left who are like just clinging desperately to their old mayhem lps you know yeah i think um there's probably always a gap between the artists and certain parts of the fan base. You know, I think, you, yeah, there's always going to be that distance. Um, you know, people were calling mayhem sellouts after they returned, you know, following Euronymous's death. And, you know, people say Gorgoroth sold out after the first three albums. And, you know, there's always going to be that. And I don't think that's necessarily a black metal thing. It, I don't even think it's a metal thing. I think that's kind of a people thing or an internet people thing. Um, <laughs> there's always going to be people who are kind of crying about stuff. And you can worry about that or you can just sort of get on with your life, I think. And I love and the I chapter on Solofold because, you know, here are these guys right from the get-go were we're going to do it different. We're going to, we're not going to show up wearing black, you know, we're going to, we're not, we're not, we're going to sing and, you know, all these things that were breaking the rules. And then, you know, 15 years later, you hear Arcturus and some of these other artists, what sounds like they're borrowing a lot of ideas that Solifold were being ridiculed for a decade and a half earlier. Well, Arcturus were kind of there as well with Solifold. Um, and I think they got a bit less stick because they had, maybe a bit more social connection to the scene. You know, the drummer was also in Mayhem. Um, they had members of Ulva, and, and uh, they've had other people sort of pass through the ranks, whereas Solifold were always kind of on the outside. You know, they were a bit younger, and they weren't part of the, I don't know, the sort of ex accepted, social, accepted social group or whatever. But it's an interesting thing, kind of how far black metal can stretch or how far a band can push before they kind of leave uh 
the you know the borders of black metal and i think bands like solifald and flurity and there were a lot of bands in the mid 90s who began to sort of push away from you know it became like the experimental era 96 97 98 and a lot of bands did a lot of interesting things in that time. Sai from Japan was another one. Yeah, and really, love you know, yeah, uh, you know, that, that was a band that started off signed to Euronymous's label and was doing relatively conservative kind of black thrash. And then by the third album, they're mixing kind of classical and surf music and uh, soundtrack music and all kinds of things together. So I think that's something you probably couldn't say in you know black uh, death or doom metal for example is that there is less black metal kind of has this very experimental edge but it also has this really conservative edge and i think those two things the collision of those two impulses is kind of what well, that's kind of what uh, defines black metal and keeps it volatile which is kind of healthy for that genre it's it sort of needs a little volatility to kind of keep things keep things moving for it i, I would think yeah, definitely, and it, it, it's never stopped moving, you know, whether it's Death Spell Amigo or, you know, whoever else has, that's come along in the last sort of 10, 15 years and put out things which you couldn't have predicted in the 90s, but it's still definitely black metal. Um, that That's a good thing to have, as well as the bands that still sound like Burzum and Dark Throne circa 93, you know, there's always... Uh, there's always going to be that as well. Yeah, there's going to be a talk in a few of those bands that are that are harkening back to the to that style as well. So yeah, you're going to get that too. Did you, did you find it difficult to get these people to tell their stories? Uh, because I mean, it seems like you know we've got hardcore stories from the hardcore scene. We've got a lot of death metal stories and and stuff and all that stuff. But it seems like it's it's been harder and harder. Or it was always it seemed like it was always hard to get these guys to tell their stories. And just lately in the last decade or so, we finally started to seem like to crack that nut a little bit and get these guys to really go on record and talk about this old stuff. Did you have that kind of difficulty in the beginning? The difficult. Yeah, in the beginning, definitely, because when I was doing uh, the first book, Evolution of the Cult, um, there was a lot of skepticism from a lot of the people I asked and you know, they, I really had to kind of explain to them what the concept was and how this book was going to be different to other books and uh, kind of had to get people to trust me and, you know, envisage what the end product was going to be. Uh, and it's become much, much easier since that book was published because now, you know, people can just look at the first book and they'll know more or less the second and third book uh, is going to be about. So there was a lot of skepticism to begin with, Um and it's nice that a lot of the bands who've spoken in the books uh, either don't do interviews anymore, rarely do interviews, or in some cases have never done interviews before. So there really is kind of, uh, there, yeah, there's a lot a lot of uh, stories and um, information that just, just was ne never really expressed before. And another thing is that, the, you know, each band gets a lot of space. Uh, it, it's more or less one band per chapter, so there's a you know there's there's more room to kind of go deeper into things and let people express themselves a bit more. What do you think was the held them back for so long to be able to do that? Was it was it a matter of being painted in a certain way? Um, I think first of all, a lot of these people aren't very media uh, friendly. Yeah, you know, in general. I don't think it's necessarily, uh, it's not even on their radar. Like it surprises me some of the black metal bands I deal with who are quite popular. Um, who I sometimes deal with for you know for magazines in terms of kind of 
doing an interview or doing a review of an album and they don't really they're not that kind of savvy or concerned about that side of things you know like they might not bother getting the photos done to promote an album where magazines tend to demand you know we need we need some pictures to print the with the interview um so there is that that they're just a lot of them are just not tuned into that and the other thing i think was that for a long time people from completely outside the scene were the people writing books and making documentaries Mm. and i think that led to a lot of uh people being portrayed in a way that they weren't too happy with and i yeah i think that that was part of the reason that there was that delay and now maybe you have more people from within black metal talking to other people from within black metal and that opens up a better dialogue i think yeah instead of it being like an animal on a cage it's it's a different view it's a view from inside versus a uh, external view it's not all just hey look they're wearing spikes you know it's a it's a a little bit more in-depth and personal part of what i found really you know compelling about the interviews that you have uh in the cult never dies that i was reading is just that all these guys seem to be thoughtful and uh they seem to have be willing to communicate their ideas there's a reason why they do what they do you know it's a little bit different from you know an interview i might read with you know say uh George Corp's <laughs> Grinder Fisher is just talking. Oh, I saw a really good movie, you know. And that that you know what I mean? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I I do quite a few interviews with death metal bands for, uh, you know, for other people, magazines and so on. And it is true that you know, if you speak to people in black metal, almost always, and certainly all all the sort of you know serious bands or the important bands. I mean, none of them are just doing it because, you know, it it, it rocks or whatever. Do you know what I mean? None of them are just yeah. going to say to you, like, oh, yeah, it's a, yeah, I just love to bang my head and play fast. You know, the, the, I, I think almost every band I've ever spoken to from, from the black metal genre had some sort of ideology or, uh, you know, religious or philosophical motivation. Uh, you know, even if it was completely crazy or didn't make any sense or was hard to understand or whatever it was, but but it's like, there is always some sort of, uh, other motivation there. And I do think that people, you know, black metal is about strong characters. I've, I've rarely met a a black metal musician again, maybe some of them, not, not always true of some of these younger bands who just play black metal, you know, for fun, but the majority of bands who played in the nineties and the previous decade, uh, there was something, you know, that they did have uh, very strong opinions and were maybe unusual characters. And I think that kind of informed the music and also perhaps makes them more eloquent and, and makes them more interesting people to talk to. Well, they've got something to say, you know, really have. Yeah. Yeah. More than more than like, like you said, just just uh, hey, let's do the circle pit. Yeah, and I love yeah. what you had Satir say, where he's like, you know, yeah, I said some stuff when I was 17. You know, what the hell? <laughs> I'm a little older now. I've, I've thought things through a little bit better, you know? And that's really kind of cool to see, too. Not that I necessarily got wind of what his new ideas are. At least he's just being a little bit uh, less candid than he used to be. Yeah, I think actually this is a really good time to be doing these interviews because you know, enough time has passed that people can be a bit reflective and be a bit more honest. If you look at black metal interviews during the 90s, I mean, they're really often very entertaining. And, uh, you know, that was part of what 
allowed black metal to explode as a, as a phenomenon, really. But, but but people are definitely adopting characters, you know, definitely kind of, uh, you know, they're saying things because they know it'll have an effect. And I think at least the older artists have had long enough now that you can kind of, you can compare what they said back then with what they say now. And as you'd expect from anyone who's 20 years older, you know, you, you are a bit wiser and you do, you can kind of be a little bit more reflective and a little bit more honest about what was motivating you. You know, there's not so much need to kind of try and impress people. And, you know, I think these guys, you know, a lot of them are in their, you know, 30s and 40s, you know, as am I. And it does, you do feel different about things than when you were, you know, 15 or 16, which a lot of these guys were when they started. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think this is a good time for it, really. I think had it, if you, if I tried to do this, I mean, I started this project in 2009 and I think if I tried to do it in 99, you just wouldn't have had that because not enough time had passed for them to be distant mm, and yeah. have kind of distance. Yeah. And they're able to step back a little bit from the, the character. Uh, a little you know because they i mean it's it, it felt like it, the stuff that you would read in the 90s or or like you said the interviews that you would read in the, in the 90s they were all given for the most part like it's in character it's over the top it's part of the it's part of the presentation it's all part of that and i'm not saying that they didn't mean it or it wasn't anything like that but it always it's like it's part of the it's part of the aesthetic and now it's like it's a mix of being able to take a step back of that and look at it from a personal level as part as being part of that for a lot of these guys and and look at it as a whole instead of just as that microcosm that it was at the time. Is it does that seem right or? Yeah, I think people see the bigger picture now. And I think also, you know, when you're younger, you do see things in more black and white terms because you don't really have so much life experience and especially if a, you know, a teenager in a Norwegian suburb probably doesn't have much experience of the greater world. But if you've been touring for 20 years and you've, you know, you've had kids or you've had a job and you've kind of lived a bit more, you're not going to see things the same way as you did when you were younger, because you know, life is, life is full of shades of gray, you know, mm. but there is, there's very few black and whites and uh, hard, you know, hard truths. in, in reality, it's, it's, it's always some, you know, level of compromise or so it's, you know i think in a way that these people are more three-dimensional characters now rather than kind of caricatures yeah and, it's, and it almost seems like that you know yeah. magazines in the 90s probably would want people to, you know it look good in an article so you want people you know a good example would be the krang article which kind of blew up mm. the whole black metal scene mm. you know had interviews with varg from Burzum, had interviews with uh, Euronymous from Mayhem and Fenris from Dark Throne. I mean, those guys were definitely saying very bold things, but I'm sure also the magazine didn't mind, you know, and, and didn't have a problem with that and, you know, present them in that way. Yeah, yeah. It's a sensationalist, well, hell, you know. I mean, yeah, we'd love to have a bit of that sensationalism here on the Hellsucks <laughs> podcast. Yeah, I mean. right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you hate, Dial? <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but it's interesting to me the way that, like, it seems that that black metal again when you know when the world turned left it turned right and again now the world's turning right it's turning left it, it, it's it's here seems to be fertile ground for anti-semitism for uh nationalism for all these you know movements that seem to be on the rise in the states in the uk in western europe etc and yet i don't see a lot of that 
happening in black metal in fact i see quite the opposite is am i as, as an outsider am i missing a, a part of what's going on in black metal it's hard for me to be objective about that um because i see so many you know because of what i do and the you know the people i know for example my facebook feed is is dominated by the opinions of people from the black metal scene um and it gets i mean obviously i do work in other fields and a lot of my friends aren't into black metal but still i find it a bit hard to know how much these opinions reflect uh the wider world i would say uh black metal has a reputation for being inherently right-wing um which is a simplification there there certainly is a lot of i mean i don't really like this left-wing right-wing uh i don't think that's a helpful way of describing politics really i think it, it's too much of an oversimplification but there is certainly and there are certainly a lot of nationalistic uh people within the black metal scene but there's also a lot of left-wing people you know if you want to use that term non um I'm, I'm struggling for the words, but there's, I, I, I do believe, I mean, certainly among the people I know, you have people from all over the political spectrum who are involved in listening to or making black metal. Uh, um, black metal nationalistic bands than other metal genres, but I don't know if that's because people in black metal are more nationalistic or whether it's just because people in black metal have a tendency to always express their opinions there are extreme opinions uh, like black metal is about extremes so taking it to an extreme on left right middle center whatever whatever that that cause du jour is it seems like that's what black metal would and should do right I mean, black. I think that the important thing to say is that black metal is uh, explicitly a apolitical. I mean, Burzum is very famous for being, you know, a racist band, um, quote unquote. But they, you know, there's no lyrics in Burzum that are racist. Mm. Uh, so even the bands that have strong political opinions, or you know, opinions on race or anything else, really they don't tend to sing about it it's not like hip-hop or um other kinds of music where the lyrics are a strong expression of the person's or the band's mm. kind of political views you know the so so as much as you know there are bands i mean the nsbm scene is obviously a a, a mix of black metal influenced music and uh political opinions but it you know that's kind of on the side like that's kind of a slightly separate thing to, to the black metal scene so you know unless unless a band is kind of exhibiting political imagery on their releases or you know including lyrics that are political i think to some extent it's it's uh it, it, it's a bit irrelevant really you know i mean it it's difficult i think you know if a band expresses racist opinions in an in an interview are they a racist band or if an, you know if a band expresses political opinions in interviews but not in their music are they a political band it, it, it's difficult to know where to draw the line really mm. i think you know as i say uh, uh, 
it's certainly not true that you know band musicians and bands in the black metal scene are all racist which is the something that i see uh black metal being described as from people outside of the movement mm. so yeah so there are certainly people who express you know there are lots of as you as you say there's lots of people uh expressing strong opinions within black metal um so people have a tendency to jump on some of those opinions more than others but it's not a it's it's has so many conflicting worldviews and so many conflicting personalities the black metal could never be a political movement there are people who would like it to be but it's not really possible because by its very nature it's pretty much apolitical and uh and kind of against you know humanity i mean it sounds yeah, it's, suppo- it's supposed to be nihilistic in a, in in a lot of ways yeah yeah yeah, it's definitely against uh, you know any any sort of any music form that attempts to be political to some extent is about uniting people. It might mm. be uniting people on the left. It might be uniting people on the right. I mean, one thing black metal isn't about is uniting people. <laughs> it's very about the individual. You know, it's very yeah. about uh, um, being sort of negating society, negating religion. Uh, so it's it, yeah, it, it's 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 not really able to be used in that, as a tool in that way, and I, I think that's actually a very good thing. Well, it's about not uniting, except for those people who are really cool with us here in this little scene in Norway. And if you're not part of that scene, then we definitely disagree. With you. you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but even Norway during the '90s was completely at war with itself. You yeah. know, the North was against the the West, and the West was against. You know, there was a lot of uh, rivalry even there, and you see that. Uh, you know in every scene really like if you look at the uk scene there's so much backbiting and kind of uh, division and that's the same in france that's the same i'm told in sweden so it's not really it's not even like our country against everyone else it's it's really microcosms you know tiny group you know our group against the rest of the world is probably more common it might be impossible for you to do this but for a metalhead that needs a gateway into black metal is there an album or a song that you just you know you would recommend every time uh it's so diverse it would be hard to just suggest one you know one album or one song to listen to i think probably if you if you listen to a lot of the stuff that kind of was responsible for black metal becoming a you know such a big phenomenon in the 90s that would give you a taste of it. You know, if you listen to maybe an emperor, if you listen to the first albums, I guess by emperor mayhem, Burzum, dark throne, rotting Christ, Beheret, impaled Nazarene, uh, Gehenna, Marduk dissection. If you listen to those, uh, I reckon you'd have a pretty good idea of whether this was a genre for you. Mm. I think what was your gateway? Oh, uh, my gateway was, um, well, I, it was basically friends lending me, older friends lending me dubbed cassettes, and it would be bands, it would be the bands of that era, really, the bands that were big in 95, so, a lot of them are the bands that are big now, so it was uh, it was Gehenna, it was uh, Mayhem Marduk, uh, Impaled Nazarene, Cradle of Filth, Hecate Enthroned, um, definitely Emperor was a big one dissection it was uh kind of the bands i'd still recommend to people now not that not that there aren't contemporary bands that are doing important music as well but i sort of feel 
the you know the the, icon, the most iconic albums really came from the mid 90s and maybe some of them have been improved on and maybe you know maybe the releases now are, are, are sort of more ground you know we're not more groundbreaking but maybe there's people doing things that weren't done in the 90s but it, but if you wanted a picture of what black metal was i'd still return to 95 94 96 that kind of era and just take the 10 you know 10 iconic albums um and there was so much variety even back then you know none of the bands sounded like each other emperor didn't sound like enslaved who didn't sound like dark throne didn't sound like cradle of filth there was there was already so much diversity back then that just just with 10 albums you would have such a diverse you know mix of music that, that nevertheless had a had something uniting it and that for me would be the atmosphere you know black metal's all about feeling and and whether it's blasphemy who are playing like really aggressive straightforward chaotic violent metal or um whether it's gehenna who are playing some sort of, you know more kind of keyboard heavy mysterious tranquil parts you know and all that there was some sort of feeling about uh uh experiencing something bigger than yourself whether you want to call that satan or the universe or nature or you know an ideology whatever it is black metal when you listen to it you it it's not just uh it's not just the musical attack that you're hearing from the from the you know the the band it's there's always that atmosphere if a black metal uh, if a black metal band doesn't make music with atmosphere, then I don't think it has much place in the genre. Well, they all take you. Thank you for taking the time, dude. I, I look forward to uh, everybody reading the uh, the new book called the Co- it's the Cult Never Dies Volume One, right? Uh, in America, you have uh, Decibel books are releasing mm-hmm. the Cult Never Dies Volume One, mm-hmm. which is an American edition of a book that okay. was released on Cult Never Dies Publishing last year. And then Cult Never Dies Publishing is releasing the third book. In fact, it released it about three weeks ago. And that book is called Black Metal Into the Abyss. So you've got two uh, two sequels to Evolution of the Cult uh, that more or less go hand in hand, I would say. Excellent. And so uh, fans in the UK, they're going to cultneverdies.com. Fans in the US, decibel.com. Yeah, more or less. Um, fans in the US are probably better off to go to Decibel. The new book, uh, the American edition of Cult Never Dies, uh, volume one is in hardback it's got really nice new artwork so it makes a lot of sense to go there uh the book the book that's just come out into the abyss that's only available at the moment on cultneverdies.com <laughs>
subscribe to the Metal Sucks Podcast today. Metallica on the Metal Sucks podcast, Hardwired. We had to play it. Why? Because everybody else is playing it. So, uh, including <laughs> your uh, adult contemporary station and or R&B and hip hop station uh, <laughs> locally, they're all playing it because it's fucking Metallica. So, yeah, no, but it's got curse words all over it. But, dude. Remember, like twenty years ago, when there were all those rumors that uh, Lars was uh, using a drum machine on, like, oh uh, yeah, 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 for all. You know, it turns out that those weren't rumors; those were gentle suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> well, as soon as I heard this, as soon as I heard this track, all I could think of was like, "Wow, that sounds like one set of double kicks that has been cut and pasted about a million oh. fucking times." 
It sounds like he's playing on the pillow, not the pillow inside the bass. You know, not the bass drum, yeah, but the yeah. pillow inside it. You know, yeah. no, I don't know. We we could do a whole podcast. Maybe we should do a whole podcast for Patreon or something on the new Metallica man. Because it it, it it almost sounds like somebody said, "Hey, remember when we really fucked up the snare sound on Saint Anger? Now we're gonna fuck well, up the kick drum. Yeah, we're gonna. <laughs> the next thing that they put out like twelve years from now is gonna have like the worst symbol you've ever heard you know oh, man well there's a i think they posted it on gear gods about how check out the waveform there's dynamics in this one it's like well yeah that, that it's sort of mixed for itunes which means that they just dropped it down to db it's not like they, they they just left some space they didn't master it to the to the maximum which which a lot of bands do nowadays so i mean dynamics eh, it's relative I mean, I like the the energy in it, you know, but I'm just not sure, you know, the the, the art of songwriting is is uh, it's a tough one. Well, you know? yeah, as are as our yeah. lyrics, I think too, boy. Yeah, well, and like but uh, Stavros actually had a great point about that. Uh, it's like you go back and it's like you like Kill 'Em All, right? Kill 'Em All is a great record. Analyze the fucking lyrics on that record real fast and tell me what you fucking find. <laughs> yeah. Stavros from the Atlas Moth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's like, if you go back and you look at the traditional badass fucking record that everybody refers to as the only legit Metallica album ever, uh, really thrash. Uh, and look at the al- the the lyrics on that. You're not looking at the most brilliant stuff ever either. So it's like, come on. <laughs> You think that like when they recorded Kill 'Em All though, it was like when James Hetfield turned to somebody and said, "Hey, you help me with the lyrics." It was that dude that he was sharing a mattress with. You know, it was <laughs> no homo, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. nowadays he has the resources to ask for a little bit of help. You know. Well, yeah. There's that. I don't know, man. It's uh, but I mean, it's not a terrible song. It's funny though. The no. the bandwagon is just like unreal right now. You know, it was funny because the the boss the boss at the radio station here uh, was like, "Hey, man, you got this new Metallica song? I'm sure you're gonna want to play it." Blah 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 blah. I'm like, "Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, we're gonna play it twice during the afternoon drive." I'm like, that's yeah, you will. Right next to fucking Passion Pit and Vance Joy, and it's gonna fit in fucking perfect. Yeah, there's no way that that any that that crowd. I mean, you want to talk about trying to attract young kids? I mean, that's just it. But yeah. I, you know, what the other great thing is just the fact that here's Metallica trying to have a really big story about their song coming out, and who comes along <laughs> with an even bigger story? As far as the metal about? world, yeah, I know. <laughs> well, it's kind of put it to bed a little bit, man. It's been mixed up in the middle of it with all this stuff. Uh, you know, Dave Mustaine and his uh, his son, oh, the Mustaine management uh, offering, um, you know, a great contract to Havoc, which is pretty awesome. Wow. So this is the story, right? So Go ahead and Justice, lay it out. Lay it out. Yeah. All right. Justice Mustaine. Uh, the son of Dave Mustaine and the president and owner of Mustaine Management has been working with Havoc for, I guess, like a year or so, right? And uh, so um, uh, he hooks up Havoc with a tour with, I mean, it's an awesome tour. This lineup is killer, right? Yeah, it's, 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 uh, Megadeth, it's Megadeth, Amana uh, Marth. Yeah. Who uh, else is on that? Um, oh, God damn it. You had to fucking ask me, didn't you? 
Uh, suicidal tendencies, I think, yeah. and metal, metal churches on it too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's a it's a pretty great lineup, and you know anybody would kill for that uh, for that opening spot. Yeah, and it's know? a great opening and slot for a for a throwback thrash kind of thing that Havoc's doing. It, it exactly. fits very well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so you know, uh, the band's like, awesome, we're gonna do the tour, and and Justice is like, hey, you know, we've been working without a contract for a year now here's a contract i'd really like to get this you know get this put to bed and you know part of the the you know injustice's mind i'm sure is and you know i've hooked you up with this great tour it's showing you the great job that i've done and i'll continue to do for you we're working together we're going to move forward things are going to get bigger and uh the band's like well we don't like the contract that you're offering for the management here's uh you know sorry it's taking a while but here's our our returns and justice didn't like what they came back with probably felt like you know this isn't going to go anywhere we're too far apart and so he drops the band and while he's at it he's like geez that that pizza chum that i was trying to tempt you with i'm going to drop you from that too which is uh uh, the tour which is totally within his right to do and um uh and so that's the end of that and havoc got very upset because they felt that uh you know hey look we got you gave us the tour we should get the tour you shouldn't drop us from the tour well, and, and okay, so I mean, I'm sorry, but you, you kind of, it kind of looks like sour grapes when, you know, okay, it's hard for Justice to get a band on the tour with Megadeth, you know, right, really? Is it, is it tough to, did he really have to work to get his dad to let him put a band on the tour, you know, that he's working with, you know, so I mean it looks like sour grapes in the Mustaine side of things because it looks like Dave Mustaine said, well, if you're not going to play ball with my son, then fuck you get out kind of thing. And that's what it looks like. Yeah. And that may have been the case, you know, and it's a, probably within his right to do so, I guess, you know, whatever contract they did or didn't sign with the tour, you know, who knows, but, but it's still kind of a dick move, you know, in a, in a way uh, to kick him off a tour that they were already built on and all that stuff. But, you know, uh, whether or not the, the the contract it's a cutthroat fucking world you know so i mean they they got to suck it up and understand that those decisions that they make have consequences you know they decide not to do the contract would they did they expect for dave mustaine not to throw them off the tour that that, <laughs> that, that that's what like you know i don't understand why they would think that that was okay you know or, or would they want to go and spend a, a tour with with daddy when son is pissed off at you you know it's like i don't know that that's going to be fun for you either so it's not fun but you get a chance to play on that lineup i mean that's good for you know when you first thing is your booking agent then goes back to those markets and goes hey you these guys had thousands of people in front of them that they played to when they came through six months ago get me a better guarantee yeah but but at the same time dave mistake could turn up the suck knob on the board for the opening band and and it could it could do some damage to him as well so you know it's like I don't know that I want to be in in that compromising position when in, in in that sort of setup, you know, it's like that could be a bad thing for Havoc in that case, you know, if they were if they were getting shit on the entire tour. So, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I don't know that they want to be there. Yeah, but I, I don't think that that, you know, Mustaine management would want to make sure that if they're involved in that tour, that that tour is the best possible uh, a sounding product for the people who pay for the ticket. They're not going to turn up the suck knob on Havoc. It doesn't do anybody any good. Well, it's, an opening, it's like uh, shooting a, yourself. Yeah, and, but an opening yeah. band is an opening band. I mean, the thing is, is that because uh, they replaced him with somebody else, like, and I was looking them up, too, and I was like, really? 
Okay. Well, I mean, Havoc at least is kind of good. You know, <laughs> the other band they were, I, I can't even remember the name of the band, but whoever they replaced them with. But then after all that stuff came out, because they, they put that big statement up on Metal Sucks, right? They sent it out to, to Metal Sucks, and then there was that whole back and forth between Metal Sucks and Dave Mustaine on Twitter, which was fun. Uh, Always good. It was entertaining. It really was. I, I like that Dave Mustaine is is uh, dialoguing with the people on Twitter. I think that's 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 a good thing. It's dialogue is one way to put it. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> fuck you and your fucking website. <laughs> fuck you and fuck the yeah. What would Jesus do, Dave? What would Jesus do? You know. I uh, apologize. I know that was funny though. That, I mean that <laughs> that, that knee jerk reaction is so dave mustaine that's like what you expect <laughs> right i mean you totally fucking expect that and it's like yeah yeah duh, god lives up to it he totally lives up well, to it it's this is awesome. the thing all right so like the the first reaction to that immediate the, the first post which is havoc claimed they've been kicked off the tour because they didn't come to terms on their management deal right that does come off immediately like whoa kind of that's kind of dicky you yeah. know yeah and, and i totally get that but that was only havoc side of the story and there wasn't a, like a, a part of the post that said you know we haven't yet sought comment from mustaine management or mustaine management hasn't commented yet. there wasn't anything like that so you know you kind of go uh, uh, you know it's one side of the story where's the other side of the story yeah. that was part of i think what mustaine management was upset about it was like hey why weren't we sought out for our comments so metal sucks seemingly goes okay then give us a comment and that's when dave mustaine says here's my comment fuck <laughs> yeah. you and and i now i kind of you know that makes a certain amount of sense and then when justice puts out his side of the story now it's a hell of a lot more nuanced the guy works for havoc for a year hooks him up with a booking agent hooks him up with all this stuff as his agent that's what he's supposed to do doing it to prove to the band hey i can do good things for you man and and you know this is i'm sure justice is not hurting for money right but the dude's working he should be compensated for it and he's like hey look this is the kind of stuff to do and look at the other stuff i can do i can get you on this tour man it's like the most awesome lineup since summer slaughter and and it's freaking great you got to go and so the band's like freaking yeah we're to totally into this and then when justice goes look i've been working without a contract for a while i need to protect myself here's here's my suggestion on the deal the band spends three months deciding what how they're going to respond which is a, makes a certain amount of sense they're in europe blah 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 but you know they got this tour that is kind of like the deadline on it and the band doesn't come up with you know when they come back it's not like yes it's a good deal let's do this or hey we're close but yeah, but what do we was, what do you what do we always bitch about? What do we always say? The first thing that you need to do as a band is you need to get a fucking lawyer to look at all this yep. shit for you. I mean, step yeah. step one is to examine these things before you fucking just sign off on whatever. I mean, because you know they posted the contract uh, that that or they sent the metal sucks the, the contract and then we posted that, and I was you know reading through some of this, which oh my god. I'm, I don't. I, I could never be a lawyer. I, there's no fucking way. I can, I can I, you know, just try to cipher some of this shit out and the, the double speak that's in this stuff. That's why you need a fucking lawyer to look at this stuff. And granted, that does not. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're not paying five hundred dollars an hour for your lawyer if you're havoc. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're hoping that 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 your uncle who went to law school <laughs> at at the community college can help you out with this thing. So it might take a little bit longer than your average bear to to get it all figured out 
I think I think that's exactly what uh, uh, the the dude from uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival did. <laughs> you remember that deal where he made yeah. that really awful deal? Oh, with it, is that in my that may be in my head actually? It's uh, <laughs> that might be what I'm thinking of. I think it was an uncle from a community college. Exactly, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure of it. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, when I'm looking at this deal, and I'm going, well, huh? So some of this stuff does look a little squirrely to me, and I don't know that if it's like industry standard or not. You know, because I've never. You know, signed a fucking band contract or whatever. So, but when I'm looking at how the manager can take a 15% for five years and 10% for another five years, which means 10 years of your band's life of what you create or what you do within the lifespan of your term with that with that management which is, company, which was only three years. It's not a long. I, only three years, but but you know, if the, if you put together an album that is huge in that three years and next thing you know your management owns 15 percent of that for for the next decade that's kind of huge you know and that's but, but, that's but selling your future it. down the river no it's not it's only selling selling what you it's only selling 15 and then 10 percent of what you do for a short amount of time down the river well now so, the, so, but but i'm also you know not having you know trying to cipher out some of this stuff i'm sure there's also language in here that says uh, that they could, as far as extending this contract and how that goes as well, you know. So who knows what the what you could do on the back end of that as well. So if they did write the fucking black album or some shit like that, and it became huge and sold millions of copies or whatever, and next thing you know, you're, you're shaving off fifteen percent of that for ten years, they go, well, it's actually more than 10 years because we have the right to extend this contract if we did this and this and this or you know there's there's exceptions to all these things as well in things that they write in there before their benefit for good reason like you said he's trying to protect himself well he's also trying to make make a buck off of this and that's the whole point behind it oh he's when you say make a buck he's trying to bet get compensated for the work that he does well you like this that, because you like this because it's gambling you know all, because all, all we're doing here is we're gambling with somebody's future here and, and if he rolls the dice right and they do have success and he does put the work in to help make them successful don't get me wrong I, I there is work behind what a manager does to make a band successful but he's gambling on whether or not that band is going to be successful and if he wins then the band loses a pretty decent percentage for uh, an entire decade of their of their career no if he wins the band wins if they if 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 he loses the band loses too that's what this is it's like if the, if if he actually is you know successful in getting the right producer for a reduced rate and the the right uh a record label you know with the right kind of deal and he's able to like put all the he had already scored a merchandise deal for these guys he's got all this stuff you know that he's making happen that really good managers do i don't know how justice mustaine learned this stuff but he seems to be on the right track right yeah so he gets that stuff in order if he is successful for the on the band's behalf and the band have the black album right and and uh, how much would uh, would uh, Dave Mustaine love the fact that he owns fifteen percent of the next black album, right? <laughs> right. I yeah. mean, that'd be so great. But you know, like, all right. So let's say hypothetically, that's what happens. All of that happens because the band did the right stuff. They wrote the right songs. They they performed the right way. And Justice Mustaine put the right people on the team to make sure that when that band did the right stuff, it was going to get delivered to the right people. Everybody worked together and everybody should should, you know, get a piece of that. Mm. I don't see what's wrong with that. Well, I, I don't know. And, and for me, it's not as much about 
the percentage. Because I agree. I mean, I, I agree with you in the respect that everybody should get paid out of that because everybody's doing work on their behalf. You know, and that's the whole point behind hiring a manager, a booking agent, you know, yada, yada, yada. You want to pay them so that they do their job so that it works out for everybody. It makes total sense. I think my 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 deal is is that is not the rate it's the it's the length like the distance behind something like that you know that 10 year span that's a long time like havoc hasn't been together their first record i think came out in 2009 so they haven't even been together been putting out records for 10 years so to to tack a, you know to, what are you going to be doing in 10 years i don't fucking know you know you don't have any fucking idea what your band's going to look like in five ten years and also like there's other stuff that's in this contract as far as pursuant to how a, man, a band member leaves the band like they have to do Use the word pursuant you the, did read that contract i'd see I'm, I'm learning i'm learning words but they, ha, they they have to like you know do it in writing 60 days in advance they have to notify the manager 60 days in advance otherwise they breach the term and also if that member leaves and he creates something else outside of that he's still obligated to the contract like there's other things that that shape the way you the band mechanics would work as far as how you enter or leave the band that then some of that shit's kind of fucked up too so i mean you know it's not just that one particular paragraph about about what that percentage would be but There's you're making it stuff. sound you're making it sound like mustang management owns the band for 10 years they don't they only own a percentage of what's created over the very i felt short term of the the three years of the the contract I, that that's very different if the band did re record their their black album right and and it's huge and for the next 10 years mustaine management you know gets their percentage of what happens but the band drops them after the three-year term right it's over then the band goes on to play arenas for the next 20 years making all the money and mustaine management gets none of that and that to me is sort of like well, that feels unfair to me if i would have put the mustaine management contract you think mahavik are upset with with <laughs> just the same we thought they join up with godless management, eh? godless <laughs> management. I, i'm taking 50 percent of everything i get half <laughs> motherfucker i get fucking half if i hooked you up with the booking agent then i should get something from everything that you do with that booking agent until you stop working with that booking agent that's what i would say if you're working with a merchandise company that i hooked you up with i should get a piece of all of the good things that come out of working with that merchandise company for as long as you're doing that 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 would be my feeling so to me i mean i you know granted you know i got halfway through page one of this contract i started drooling and then passed <laughs> so who knows what's in it yeah. but it you know there's not there's to me it sort of it didn't seem to me to be incredibly unfair well and, and, and mustang management point of view well and i mean i'm looking at it and, and does it look like there's anything odd in there as far as like industry standard would be concerned like i said i don't know i'm not in a band i haven't looked at a bunch of these contracts to see what it looks like compared to others you know is there some oddball things in there but but when you look at the history of this particular band right and you see the lineup changes in this particular band and how it's gone over the uh, since they were conceived in 2004 you know first record in 2009 two new members since 2010 you know, you know, like the the way that the band has kind of shaped up not saying that they're going to break up or members going to leave but the way things work nowadays you know, if you're not making money in this three years and somebody does leave and then they're still obligated to this contract to, to, to this management with they don't do it just right, like how they're supposed to in writing, 
and all these other things, you know, and they still own pieces of this and pieces of that. You know, there, there may be some questions. And can you answer that after getting off a European tour and trying to do that in a month or so to, 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 to mitigate some of that? You might not be able to turn that around in time. So, I mean, right. you know, stop. But I also don't agree that Havoc should be stomping their feet about getting knocked out the tour because they they took their time. You know, so good that, for them. That, to, to me, it's good that they took their time and had somebody look at it and, and had somebody go over it. If they don't agree with it, so be it. You know, that's fine. Yeah. But they got to understand the consequences. Yeah. And, and that and, you know, from Mustang Management's point of view is sort of like, hey, look, we're 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 as long as we are uh, have a deal or at least we're, we're planning on having a deal, then, you know, we are working hard to make your career better. Yeah. And as yeah. soon as we are no longer obligated to make your career better well then i'm gonna make your life hell (laughs) well i'm not gonna try to make your life hell but i'm gonna go well then screw you you know from 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 a justice's point of view he's like hey look i spent a year trying to prove to you guys i can do a great job i feel i did do a great job and now i want to put it in paper it kind of feels like a fuck you when the band comes back and goes oh no this is totally crazy contract and you're like oh, not 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 really no this is totally fair mm. uh, from his point of view i could get it well you'd be like well geez you know have a nice life but uh, you know we, well gotta, yeah not, not, not everybody's gonna be willing to sign a contract that's as, that's as short as your lease on your apartment you know they're not gonna they don't want to work six months at a time you know the yeah, three yeah, years and three years in the music business is fucking a drop in the bucket but exactly, especially nowadays uh, no it is <laughs> That's one album, you know. Well, and uh, but I mean, I'm I don't know. At the same time, they saw as they saw a flag that 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 put it up. You know, like I said, it's their 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 right to walk away from it. But the, the, I don't know that it sounds like they understood that they were walking away from everything, and that and that to me is like that's really short sighted. You should have kind of understood that. Hey, by the way, you piss off Dave's kid. Uh, you're gonna not be on the tour. It's it's, well, pretty- it's not even that he, they necessarily pissed him off. They just said, you know, they, it just they were no, they were now at cross purposes. Yeah, no, and no, at no, that no, point, yeah. Who's got? You know, he's like, hey, I hooked you up with the tour, and I can drop you from the tour. Yeah. And well, so I'm saying from, did. but I'm saying from an elemental point, as far as looking at it from the outside, you know, it's it turns into that that hey, by the way, uh, my daddy is mad at you now. You know, as far as what it, the optics, what it looks like. It's like, that's what it and looks I, like. And personally, I think that, that w- a lot of that came from the original post, which never got justices or Mustaine management's point of view. Well, to but, me, that, but that, that's there, but that's, they, they posted this, they, you know, they wrote that statement, you know, and that's the thing is like, that's what they, that's what they put out there. So, I mean, you know, and that was their, their take on it. So obviously justice Mustaine should be running Dave Mustaine's Twitter account because, <laughs> you know, the, the response probably shouldn't be fuck you. You know, the response should be what justice Mustaine put on his Facebook page, which is like, Hey, look, I worked my ass off for these guys. Yeah. And I did it at a reduced pay. And I, you know, what, what, what we didn't, they didn't want to work with me and I didn't want to work with them anymore. And it's over. Yeah, I, that, exactly. that seems completely sensible to me. Yeah. Totally. You know what? I'm going to take a moment here. I haven't done this in a long time, maybe ever, but Justice Mustaine, nice. Very nice. 
Yeah. I was going to say you are you are siding with the Mustang Clan on this. Yeah, one. Yeah, you believe that? Right, you believe, I mean, a... I, I I like Havoc. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm maybe you know, like I said, I didn't read the contract. What the hell do I know? But <laughs> you know, based on on just the the few highlighted items that I saw, it's sort of like to me, it didn't seem like it was complete it would it wasn't a 30 page thing it's only well, like four yeah pages. well and, and also what we're talking about is like it, it everybody acted within their rights you know and that and that's the thing is like nobody's been slighted here at all yeah. and that's and that's yeah. kind of the the non-story of the whole thing is that nobody's really been slighted in this whole thing at all you know it was entirely up to havoc to sign or not sign it was entirely up to justice to not continue working for them it was entirely up to dave mustaine and mustaine management not to include them on a tour you know and, and it's it, totally right for havoc to put a statement to explain to their fans why, why they're, they're not, not on, on the tour, tour that they bought to yeah totally. i mean all that yeah, yeah it all makes sense exactly and that's the thing is like it's a, it's a almost like a non-issue and then then it sort of gets inflamed and it's like well but but and then and then when everybody uh, talks it out it's like oh okay all right we're good all right what's that new metallica song again okay all right hardwired okay cool metallica yeah that's metallica songs coming out okay cool all right we're good all right moving on moving on next next well, who else can we piss you off know, next if i'm metallica the opening band in my fall tour is happening <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that'd be fucking perfect oh my god that'd be perfect awesome all right let's wrap this podcast up man uh, make sure you are subscribed on itunes google stitcher play wherever you get your podcast you can find metal sucks podcast just search it you will find it and that way you can get all of our podcasts all 160 of our podcasts right to your device Maybe not all at once. You might want to do it on Wi-Fi or something like that. You know, that's a lot of podcasts all at once. But so go check them out. Oh, you can also do it at middleslicks.net. Click on the podcast tab. They're all listed right there. You got a lot of good ones, man. We want you to check it out. And then you can also get us on social media. I am at Bearded Ape. I am at Godless Speaks. Godless Speaks on Facebook, Spotify, and quick, I want to plug 100 Sons, which is uh, uh, a dude from, um, uh, the singer from uh, Norma Jean and guitarist from, uh, oh, fuck. Uh, Come on. Oh. Come on. Come on. The vampire song. Oh, you can do it. <clears throat> Every time I die. There you go. Oh, thank crowdfunding, you. man. Uh, 100 Sons. I, I I dig the track, so uh, go uh, check them out. Uh, try to support that crowdfunding. I just wanted to give that a plug. And then let's see. You can find us on Instagram at Chuck and Godless and also ChuckandGodless.com. That'd be our Patreon. If you would like to support us, we would greatly appreciate your cash. Yeah, if you're not giving you know. your money to Norma Jean and Every Time I Die, would you freaking give me some of this you know (laughs) little as a dollar a month can uh you know make sure that i get tacos every single wednesday uh because that's really what what my life is all about it's about tacos so yes we would definitely appreciate uh appreciate it so go to patreon.com slash chuck and godless uh that would be a great thing and of course every single monday get this damn podcast so till next week i am chuck i'm godless this is another metal sucks podcast Hello me, meet the real me, and my misfits wave life. A dark black past is my most valued possession. Hindsight is always 2020, but looking back it's still a bit fuzzy. Speak of mutually assured destruction. Nice story, tough bears paranoid You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.